Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Keeping Up With The Card. We are now on episode four, basically a month in, and football season has really ramped up, and we're excited to be back with yet another episode. Obviously, everyone knows what happened this past weekend. Cardinal took on USC Saturday night primetime on ABC, and they lost 41-28. You know, it was, uh, it was not a fun game to watch, that's for sure. And Jabril, we'll get your th- thoughts here in a second. But yeah, not a fun game to watch, but I was slightly encouraged. It was kind of the outcome I got from the game, which a lot of people are kind of gonna, probably going to be astonished with. But before we really get into that, Jabril, what were your thoughts after watching USC take down the Cardinal? Yeah, uh, frankly, USC just looked like the better team, as we'll talk about some more. Uh, lots of offensive creativity, which is a great sign for the Carl. They moved the ball well, but unfortunately, you're not going to win many games when you lose the turnover battle for nothing. It's just not going to happen, especially against a team that's as good as USC with as explosive an offense as USC has. So that really was a nail in the coffin for the Cardinal. And unfortunately, as you said, it wasn't an enjoyable watch since this game was over midway through the second quarter. But there were lots of encouraging sides, especially on the offensive side of the ball, which we'll get into. Yeah, certainly a lot of encouraging things to get into. But since it was a loss and USC on the offensive end did go off on the Cardinal, let's start with some of the bad. And that bad, of course, USC scored five touchdowns on five straight drives. Really, to open the game, there was nothing that Stanford could do to stop the Trojans. In the second half, they did calm it down a bit, but by then, the game was gone. Jabril, what were, how, how did USC kind of overpower Stanford here? Was it just Caleb Williams, or you know, was it just a total team effort? I think it was a team effort, and we talk about those USC skill positions, especially Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, and of course, quarterback Caleb Williams, all of them, all the transfers they have on the offensive side of the ball. And for one... I just don't think the defense had a good game. Now, I don't expect the defense to be anywhere near the strength of this Cardinal team. I don't think they're very good overall, but they also just had a really, really bad first half. I mean, they didn't, USC didn't face a third down until their last drive or one or two minutes to go in that first half. So they had a really poor game. And USC is the most talented offense Stanford's set to face this season. So, yeah, you would have liked to expect a little more in that first half than 35 points and only one third down face by the USC offense. But yeah, the secondary didn't have a very good game, but the front seven did them no favors. They didn't get to Caleb Williams. Uh, they had trouble stopping the run. So really a whole team effort on the defense to be that poor in the first half, but they made some adjustments in the second half. And it, yes, USC took their foot off the gas a little bit, but it was a big improvement from the first half to the second half, which is encouraging of course but my main takeaway is the defense is not going to be very very good this year as we all expected they just need to find a way to keep Stanford in games they didn't keep the Cardinal in the game you could say the offense could have been better with less turnovers but regardless the game should not be over a quarter and a half into it and that's what it was and that was mainly on the defense yeah you know we talked a lot last week in our last episode about the key to the game for Stanford being slowing down the tempo. And, you know, if they could if they could slow down the tempo, get ahead, you know, they could really cut down on those USC possessions. But the issue was they got down early in the game. You know, Tanner McKee throwing a pick on the very first possession, USC then going, scoring a touchdown and starting the first of those five straight touchdown drives. And once, once the Cardinal went down, you know, that kind of that game plan kind of goes out the window and you can't slow the game down. And Stanford actually had a high high number of plays ran, which is unusual for the team, but you know, it worked really well. And I think it's going to be something we see heading forward. We'll get into that offense here 
in a bit, but, you know, sticking with the defense, Caleb Williams really impressed me for USC. We knew it was going to be hard to stop him. It was going to take a spectacular effort. So you can't necessarily fault that, but there, you know, there was a lot that USC was doing that Stanford just was not able to, to stop. It was good to see David Bailey get the most snaps of any edge player. He got his first career sack after somewhat of a disappointing performance week one. So it was good to see him bounce back pretty quickly and against, you know, the best offense he's going to face all season. Fingers crossed at least, but it, it was, it was good to see that. And then kind of one of the good parts of the defense is Ethan Bonner was the highest graded player for the Cardinal and PFF. He's a guy that's kind of caught some flack from, from me specifically in the off season. You know, I wasn't really a big fan of him being uh CB two behind Caillou Blue Kelly, but uh, Peter, Peter Goffin, who he had on uh, in preseason, you know, thought he was going to be going to be the guy there behind Caillou and Ethan Bonner uh, showed up and impressed in this game. So it's good to see competent corner play, at least per PFF, you know, not necessarily in score performance, but it was good to see that from him and inspires a bit of confidence heading into this next 10-week stretch after the upcoming bye week. But now, you know, let's talk a bit about the offense. The highlight of the game for me was seeing the installation of the slow mesh. It was really cool to see Tanner McKee take his time, you know, decide kind of an RPO offense. Is he going to hand the ball off? Is he going to pass? I mean, it worked really well. And I think kind of the ma major reason it worked really well is because of the offensive line play. I don't know if you were expecting the offensive line to be so good this early in the season. Levi Rogers had a bounce back week after also some of a disappointing week one. I mean, you can't talk about the offensive line without, of course, talking about the news of the week. And that is Branson Bragg and retiring from football. He suffered a concussion in training camp and just has not been able to recover and ultimately made the decision recently to step away from football. So, you know, kind of a heartbreaking story as he was kind of the heart and soul of this offensive line. You know, a guy we expected to be drafted either, you know, this year, if he stuck around for a fifth year, certainly after that year. So it sucks to lose, you know, the best guy on the offensive line, but it was nice to see Levi Rogers, you know, play admirably in his place. And it looks like it'll be Rogers' spot for the foreseeable future. Jabril, what were some of your thoughts on the new slow mesh offense? Yeah, I'll start with Brad. Really sad news there. All Pac-12 caliber right guard, someone who would have very likely gone drafted and had potential for a national career. So really sad to see uh, he's got to graduate on time though and has a really bright future. So that was good to hear, of course, but a huge loss for yeah, man, the Stanford offensive line, luckily, as you said, Levi Rogers with a nice bounce back performance that this week. This was really encouraging to see. Let's talk more about that offensive line. 221 rush yards. When is the last time we've seen Stanford run for over 200 yards? I mean, that was just such a, such a welcome sign. Now, yes, USC's front seven, nothing to really be excited about, especially their defensive line. But it's still a packs well defensive front seven that they just put up 200 plus yards on. We haven't seen that in a while. And it really looked like the offensive line took a jump over the offseason. I think this game showed us that. The pass protection was very good overall for McKee, as we saw in week one. But the rushing attack was really bad week one. And this week, big time improvement from that. So now let's get to that slow match. The week four slow match, let some RPO in there. Shaw really threw us all off the scent this offseason by saying, oh, yeah, we're just going back to basics, simplifying things, taking things out of the playbook. Yeah, oh, no, we just sort of installed a whole new offensive package here with the slow mash stuff. He mentioned in the press conference today that he talked to Wake Forest's staff and everything about it, and they were tight-lipped, but he still was, looked like he went through their film pretty pretty thoroughly and installed this package over the offseason. As we all know, the offense we saw against Colgate was a complete fake. Uh, that was not Stanford's offense. They were not just trying not to let USC get any film on that before this game. But now comes the real test. There's no shock value anymore. Yes, I'm sure they have a lot more wrinkles within it, to show has only been 80 plays of the slow mesh we've seen or that offense now. But as 
teams get more and more film. How does Stanford adjust? How do these defenses adjust to Stanford? How does Stanford adjust back? So that's the whole chess match of football. I'm sure the coaching staff will do a fine job, but it really worked against USC. The offense looked really, really good until they got into the red zone and until they fumbled and threw some picks. So yeah, a little bit of execution there and the time when it was really needed that they needed to score points. But overall, the offense moved the ball really, really well, 441 yards on the, on the evening. Yeah, the slow mesh was really impressive, and especially in the open field. You know, as you mentioned, in the open field, uh, the offense almost looked unbeatable. And then, as you said, when you get in the red zone, things slowed down. The field shrinks quite a bit, and Stanford really struggled to punch it in and convert there, which hopefully we see an improvement in going forward. But, you know, it's it's basically impossible to talk about the slow mesh offense without bringing up someone we haven't mentioned yet, and that is running back EJ Smith, who, when he with the caveat, when he wasn't fumbling the ball, he looked amazing out there. He, you know, he was finding his holes. He was being patient, getting out into space and really, really being a menace for that USC defense. And that was, that was great to see, you know, running back was a question mark heading into the season. I think Jabril, you and me, you know, we were very hopeful that EJ Smith would be the guy and that he would turn in a good season. And so far, you know, he is exceeding our expectations. He does need to cut down on the turnovers. Fumbling has been an issue. He had a couple of them in this USC game and they were very costly. He was also banged up there in the second half. So hopefully, you know, this bye week gets him back to to being fully healthy 100%. And we, you know, the staff can start to, you know, work with him and cut down on those turnovers heading forward. Because if he can cut those out of his game, I think we have a pretty special running back on our hands and getting back, you know, into that into that lineage of Toby Gerhard, Christian McCaffrey, Bryce Love, and those guys in between that, I'm, that I've definitely missed. But I, th- I think we have a pretty special running back on our hands once we cut down on those turnover issues. And even behind him, Casey Filkins looked pretty good. And so I'm, I'm pretty confident heading forward in those top two running backs. And so it was, it was and just with a slow mesh offense, it, w- it was good to see. I, I, was, I was very happy about the offense. And the offense was really the reason why I came away from this game feeling good and like ready for the rest of the season. Obviously, I was not happy with the loss and the way the defense played, but it gave me a lot of hope for the rest of the season. I think Go Mighty Card, one of the big, one of the bigger uh, Stanford fan accounts on Twitter tweeted out after the game that he, you know, he he had a great sense of hope heading forward and that, you know, he thought people would be surprised with that take, but that was his take that he he felt a lot of hope heading forward. And so you you know, we mentioned we mentioned the fumbles. That was an issue. Tanner McKee threw two picks, although both not entirely his fault. One was a tip ball in the end zone, albeit he should have thrown it, you know, more towards the sideline or towards the back, the back side of the end zone. I'm in the first one on the first drive, which really uh kind of set off set off USC's USC's um ascent to the win. Jabril, was there anything else you wanted to you wanted to harp on from from this matchup? Yeah, as I've said, like when he's not fumbling the ball, he's been very, very good and looks like one of those game-breaking running backs we could have on our hands. Uh, but again, you can't fumble the ball twice a game. And yes, fumble recoveries are largely luck, but yeah, they can't have that happen too often. Otherwise, it's going to cost you, especially when the defense plays like it did on Saturday. In terms of the hope question, I think I'm very, very hopeful about this offense and the defense. I really like the adjustments they made in the second half. I think it worked, but I am quite worried about this turnover stuff. I was hoping the whole turnovers and sloppiness against Colgate was fluky. And yes, now we have a sample size of two, but now this seems like it's it's a real issue for this team. Of course, again, it's been two games, but this can't become an issue for this team, especially with the way the defense is playing. And of course, I'm still very, very concerned about the defense. Yes, USC is the best offense they're going to face, but this defense does have a lot of holes, especially in that front seven. And the secondary didn't look all too good against USC's, albeit elite talent. They didn't look very good. 
on Saturday. So a lot to, a lot of work to do. And then also injuries. We have 10 straight weeks now. How's this depth on this team going to hold up? We really have no idea. So there are a lot of question marks going forward, but I honestly think I feel better. I would agree with the take that I feel better about the team after Saturday than I had going into Saturday after the initial frustration of the game being over after a quarter and a half. For sure. And one last storyline I did want to talk about from this game, you know, actually came post-game. In Lincoln Riley's press conference, you know, he he admitted that he was impressed with a Stanford slow mesh offense and that it did surprise him because, of course, Stanford didn't run it at all against Colgate. And, you know, in his response to the, when he was asked about the slow mesh offense, he said that it was a miracle that Stanford's offensive line didn't get any, you know, linemen down the field penalties, you know, when the slow mesh turns into a pass play. And I, I took that as him, you know, being impressed with the coaching with Stanford's offensive line execution and not getting down the field, you know, and kind of holding in place and executing the play to the best of their ability. But, you know, David Shaw in his press conference today talked about how he felt, you know, disrespected or slighted by Lincoln Riley and how, you know, he thought that Lincoln Riley was saying that on a couple of those plays that Stanford's offensive linemen were down the field. I mean, you know, Shaw took it even as far as to say, you know, he went back and watched the tape back two times just to make sure his offensive linemen weren't down the field. And he said, you know, they were not. So, you know, I could be misreading the situation here, but my own take off watching both those press conferences, I think that Shaw might be in the wrong just in this just in this take. I think I think Lincoln Riley, you know, was was admitting that it was an impressive, impressive new offense and that Stanford's offensive line did a good job executing it. I don't think he was, you know, salty in the fact that uh, he thought the offensive line were down the field in any way. Jabril, I don't know if you if you came to a similar conclusion or had any thoughts about that. No comment. I don't know. It is good discipline for Stanford not to get any calls with those penalties. Really impressive to see that the first time they ran it. No sloppiness on the offensive line, at least on the execution of the slow mesh. So I don't know what Lincoln Riley was not going to say. I'm not going to try to interpret that. But yeah, really impressive by the offensive line to be that disciplined. Yeah, definitely very, very nice to see the discipline there with the, you know, first time running it in live action. But we're gonna we're gonna move forward. Still talk about football here. You know, we kind of have gotten at it in our fast few responses. But kind of you know now that we're at the bye week and then coming after this bye week, it's 10, 10 straight weeks of games. It's basically time to reset our expectations, even though we've only played two games. So Jabril, I'm gonna ask you. You know, after after watching these first two games, what has you excited about this team, and then what has you worried? Excited about the offense. The new slow mesh. We'll see how other teams adjust to it, but I'm sure Stanford has a lot more surprises that they're going to show us within that slow mesh this year. So yeah, I'm really excited about that and really excited to see the creativity from the coaching staff. I think there was a lot of people saying when a company's not going well and you have the same people who built the company try to tear it down and start over, you just don't do that. You hire someone from the outside, give new fresh ideas. I think it sort of dispels a lot of the notions people had a lot about the co- the offensive side of this coaching staff. They were willing to really install something new over the post over the off season, and just it's it's so new from what we've seen from Stanford in recent years. So I really think the whole Shaw doesn't adjust and is stubborn is completely blown up. You can't make that argument anymore. This is really really inventive, really creative. And I was really happy to see it on Saturday. So huge credit to the coaching staff for that. What has me worried is the defense and the turnovers. Yeah, it's it can't be like this. You can't have you can't face only one third down in the first half. You're gonna not be in the vast majority of games you play this year. Uh, again, USC is the best offense they faced, but yeah, defense definitely a lot of concerns there. Uh, and the, you got to cut down on the turnovers. Yeah, can't win a game losing the turnover battle for nothing. Unless you're the Cincinnati Bengals who almost pulled it off and offer a missed kick, and that was a plus five turnover differential. Uh, but yeah, you're not going to put yourself in many games the way they did in turnovers against USC. So yeah, positives, offense, 
negatives, first half defense, and then turnovers. Yeah, my answer, my answer to those two questions is basically going to be the same thing. You know, I was very impressed with the slow mesh offense, as I've already said on this episode. And, you know, the, the improved play from the offensive line, specifically Miles Hinton, Levi Rogers hopping in there. You know, we weren't really expecting him to see the, see the field heading into this season. The improved play all around from the offensive line and the emergence of EJ Smith, albeit he does need to cut down the turnovers, as you mentioned. So I'll, that really has me excited moving forward. And the bad, again, the turnovers. And then, as you said, you know, the defense and specifically more, you know, the depth on the defense. You know, if we see an injured player go down, defensive line edge, inside linebacker, how, how sharp of a drop do we see from the level the, te- the defense is already at? So I, that has me worried heading into heading into the rest of the season. And I would also say, you know, having a week three bye, which is I know I know Jabril's had you upset ever since we first found out about the schedule, just because having to play 10, 10 straight games and, you know, in 10 weeks isn't good for any team. And especially, you know, a program like Stanford, where we've kind of been injury riddled in the past few seasons. And, you know, we could get a night into a nightmare scenario. You know, hopefully we don't knock on wood that, you know, we don't see injury injuries start piling up. But uh, yeah, it's never, never good to see a week three bye. And especially, you know, with this bye week being before school starts, you know, Stanford, we're on the quarter system. Jabril and I are still at our homes right now. We have not made it to campus yet. We will be moving in end of next week. So I know we're excited for that, but we still, you know, not till week six of the college football season does Stanford have a home game with students on campus. I mean, you know, kind of getting on into a tangent here, but you know, it's all something to take into consideration when you're when you're talking about how the Pac-12 does scheduling. So it would have been nice to to not have not have a week three bye. But you know, you take the good with the bad. There there are plenty of things that excite me about the Stanford team moving forward, and then of course a few few pretty big things that that worry me. And then, you know, kind of my final question for you, Jabril, as we kind of reset our expectations here now that we're at the bye week is, are you willing to revisit your expected win total for the season or change your expectations at all? Or is it it still too early for you? I think I had five at the beginning of the year. I think I maybe tweaked that a little upwards, five to six range, probably feeling a little better about a bowl appearance right now, especially with Notre Dame looking like a much more winnable game than it looked like at the beginning of the season, Notre Dame now. 0-2 0-2 after losing at home to Marshall. Uh, so yeah, uh, Oregon doesn't look fantastic, as good as we thought they would be at the beginning of the year. Their USC is out of the way. Uh, we'll see. I think there's still a lot of questions. The week three bye, they're going to have injuries at some point. Every team does. Does the depth hold off? Now you don't have a bye week to get people healthy. So really lots of question marks. Uh, I think the five to six range, maybe a little leaning more towards the possibility of a bowl appearance. I'm feeling better about after this week, but not too much, just a slight upward arrow, I'd say. Yeah, I think when I did my projections for the season, I had them in that six to seven win range. And I'm I'm feeling more confident now that they will make a bowl game. You know, I think I also, when we did our, you know, our kind of preseason article previews for the daily, I, you know, we went game by game schedule predictions. And I think I picked them to be UCLA. You know, I am also feeling a lot more confident that we do steal one of those games where Stanford's not favored. So I, I, I think that Stanford will make a bowl game. That's kind of how I'm feeling now. You know, the offense has, has encouraged me. And I think that the team will be able to solve the turnover issue here moving forward. But of course, that remains to be seen. We will see. And then I think team goes as far as the defense goes now. So we, we will have to see. Um, and of course, it's the bye week. Next Saturday, the team will 
launch its 10-game stretch at Washington, 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. We will be back on campus for that game, but of course, it's an away game. But, you know, watching from a different location, it'll be Jabril will be actually calling that one in person in Seattle. I know he's excited for that. So if you want to tune into that, KZSU will be bringing it to you, Jabril, on the call. I know I will be tuned in. That's going to wrap up our football coverage for this week. Definitely had a lot to talk about there. Still some other things to talk about around the farm, starting with volleyball. They've had a very impressive last week, you know, two big wins and also, you know, a disappointing loss given, you know, kind of the stature of those, those two big wins, you know, in the past week, including, you know, we're recording this just after the team took down number two, Nebraska. In the past week, they've taken down two teams in the top five, number three, Minnesota, number two, Nebraska, but then also lost to number 20, Penn State. Jabril, you know, you're kind of our resident expert on Stanford women's volleyball. Give us your take on this past week for the team. Well, my panic meter started to go up when they lost to Penn State. They played badly. It didn't look good at all. And I, I'll be honest, I was like, this team is playing worse than they did at the end of last year. And then somehow, some way, it all just started to click. They go 3-1 at Minnesota in their own building. And then they go 3-1 at undefeated number two Nebraska in their own building. It just all started to click all of a sudden. They looked out of sorts before this game. I don't think, I truly didn't think they played a good game. This whole season until this game against Minnesota, they didn't play well on the road in Florida, just barely scraped by that game. They played fine against Texas, but Texas outclassed them. They played badly against Penn State. Penn State took care of them in five sets, and they just played really well against Minnesota. They played very, very well for large stretches of the game against Nebraska. It just all of a sudden started clicking. Now, there are still lots of things they can improve on. Number one, service errors. I know Kevin Hanley loves to serve aggressively. But 23 service errors in four sets, you're almost giving away a set in points right there. The hitting can still be improved from a couple of people. I thought Elliot Rubin was fantastic against Nebraska. She had her best game of her young career. Uh, Kendall Kipp had a rough first set or so, but then really gone to the form we've seen her all year. Kendall Kipp has been the most consistent player on this team. Uh, Katie Baird slowly starting to get better. She's had a rough start to this year, though. And we've seen Katie Baird play. You know, there's another year she can hit and make this team a whole other level. So still waiting for that from Katie Baird. Sammy Francis really finding your own. She was hitting at a really high clip today. Got eight kills. Just this team is starting to come together. And I think it's starting to click. Now they have number three Louisville on Saturday. And that'll be a gigantic game. And given their last two wins at number six, or then number three, Minnesota, now number six, they beat them on the road. They beat Nebraska just now on the road. I think they can win this game against Louisville. And I think already right now, you've got this win. You take 19 out of 20 from the Pac-12 Slater, 18 out of 20. You're putting yourself in contention for a top four seed. They take this game against Louisville. They'll be a top four team in the country probably next poll. So Stanford volleyball continuing to move up and seems like something's clicked this week yeah and that's you know that's great to see women's volleyball get back to kind of what we've been used to used to the level we've used to be seeing them at in this past decade they've got a big game coming up this weekend as you mentioned against number three louisville and i'll be excited to tune into that one but you know keeping it moving with all of the sports program the fall programs on the farm women's soccer in action in the chicago area in the past week you know they 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 lost their first game in the season losing to to, to now number eight Northwestern 1-0 and then they they played at DePaul and won that one 3-1 teams now number six in the country Jabril you know how that first you know losing that first game to Northwestern kind of what are your what are your thoughts on where the team sits now yeah check that number nine in the country now the tied for ninth with Pepperdine I believe just to 
road game. It sometimes happens. Stanford didn't play their best, and Notre Dame took advantage. They had a much better second half than first half, but unfortunately, they couldn't find that goal. Seven shots in the first, in the second half, but not enough for the Cardinal to come back in that one. The Northwestern with a huge win. As you said, Northwestern, good team. Top 20 program after this week. So it's not a horrible loss. Stanford stays in the top 10. As you know, women's soccer, you host the first round. And then after that, the higher of the four in every section of the bracket hosts the round of 32 and round of 16. So Stanford really wants that top eight. See, we're just talking about tournament already. We want that top eight seed. So you host the first three rounds. So yeah, still staying in the top 10. Stanford looked, has looked very good all season. Just seems like it was a bad game. Yeah, and you know the team back in the Bay Area now for for two games this week. They're playing San next, and that you know should be a should be a game to continue. You know, getting back getting back to even after beating DePaul, and then this weekend, you know, is their marquee clash. They're going to play at Santa Clara, so you know, basically, is their Bay Area rival. We've seen some great matches between the two in the past few years. I remember going to the one. I was at Stanford just like, kind of disappointed that, you know, we're not we're not in the Bay Area yet to go to this one because it always is an entertaining matchup. But I will be tuning in, as as I've said, you know, anytime Stanford, Santa Clara meet women's soccer, it's going to be entertaining and it's going to be going to be a big matchup. And then over on the men's side, team only played one game last week, and that was in Omaha, Nebraska against Creighton team that, you know, recently was in the top 10 until they lost to St. Louis and then fell out of the rankings, was receiving votes last week. And these two teams drew 1-1. Um, Matt Frank in goal for Stanford put in a tremendous performance. I actually was unable to watch this one since it was on Flow Sports. Do not have a subscription to that. So that was that was pretty disappointing. I wanted to see, you know, what was pretty much the biggest match of the season so far for the men's soccer team. But uh, from what from what I've gathered from it, Matt Frank had a great game in goal. They actually Carlo Agostinelli, Retro Junior forward, actually scored in the very first minute of the game. And then Stanford wasn't able to add to that to that tally. Creighton and getting getting the the tying goal. So, you know, Stanford actually is still number two in the country. They're tied for number two right now with Wake Forest. Wake Forest is undefeated. So I guess you could you could consider Stanford number three if you want to. But uh, in, in in the coaches poll, they are still tied for number two. So they're still thought of highly by by coaches around the country. And they've got a pretty big week coming up here as they're starting conference play with number 25 UCLA on the farm on Thursday, Thursday night. It's going to be a pretty entertaining matchup. That will be the biggest test of the season so far. I'm interested to see how Stanford stacks up. You know, are they really a top, top, top two team? And then on the weekend, they're going to go down to SoCal to take on San Diego State, continuing conference play there. So I'm really interested to see, you know, how this team, once conference play starts, because, you know, those conference matches tend to be a little tighter, higher energy, certainly more friction between the teams. You see some arguments, some fights start to break out. So I'm, I'm excited to see how this team responds to the start of conference play and if they can keep their strong start to the season going. You know, they're still undefeated, you know, just with the draw against Creighton. So I'm interested to see, you know, how far they can go this season after, after missing out on the NCAA tournament just last year. And, you know, to close out, this episode, we have a pretty big topic here, something Jabril and I have been waiting for basically all summer, and that was the schedule release for the men's ba- for the men's basketball team. And just a disclaimer to start, I am a manager for the team. Uh, I did not know the schedule was coming out uh, when it came out, but I was very happy it did. And so we're just going to get straight into discussing this one. Jabril, I know you have plenty of thoughts. Let's hear some of them. Yeah, so I think this is pretty in line, maybe slightly tougher. Of what we've generally seen from this Jared Haas non-conference scheduling in recent years, just a little 
general stuff on the men's basketball team. They're a bubble team. That's what everyone else, everyone has in this. I think Lenardi has him as last team in in his latest bracketology prediction. Because this team's going to be competing for an NCAA tournament, has the talent to do it, and this needs to be the year to get it done. We all want the men's basketball team to get it done this year, and they have the talent to do that, especially with transfer Michael Jones coming in. We'll talk a lot more about that in basketball season, but this is a talented men's basketball team we have on our hands this year. So looking at this non-conference schedule, I think the biggest surprise for me was probably this opening game against Pacific. I thought they were going to go with like a real a low end opponent on this. Instead, they went for, yes, the lower end of the WCC, but usually you start off with a weaker team. But then when you look at the next game, it makes sense. They're playing Wisconsin on Friday, November 11th. So they need a little bit of a tougher warm up for that game. Wisconsin, I think, a projected NIT team this year, not supposed to be anything special. So a winnable game in a quote unquote neutral site in uh, the Brewers ballpark in. Milwaukee, they host San Diego State. After that, in Maples, San Diego State is a projected top 25 team. Then they host Cal Poly. Then they go to Florida, Disney World, Orlando area to play three games. And there are like four or five bubble teams in that tournament. So a lot of NCAA tournament implications probably in that early season tournament. A huge opportunity for the Cardinal to really establish themselves. Then they go home for those two weird uh, pre-New Year conference games. They host UCLA. And they go to Arizona State. I think it's a Thursday, Sunday swing. There are some important games there. Got to find a way to take one of those. Then they host Green Bay and it should be an easy buy game. Then they go to Texas to face, again, another sort of neutral site in Dallas against the Texas Longhorns. And then they play Loyola Chicago in a neutral site in Santa Cruz. So that's interesting. One thing to keep in mind on those neutral site games is how they're weighted on the net ranking. Instead of, a, so like for Wisconsin and Texas, even though those are going to feel like away games and probably have the same impact on the team that an away game would, they get graded as a neutral site game. So depending on how that goes, that'll hurt the Cardinal, uh, no matter how they do. But then they sort of balance that out a little bit with having Zoyola Chicago in a technical neutral site, even though it's taking place in Santa Cruz. So really interesting schedule removers here. I, I really like this non-conference schedule. I think it's really challenging. I see 12 games here before the new year. Oh, there's also one more game that's going to be added at a time to be determined in the new year. So that's a really weird wrinkle. I'm not sure how I feel about that, especially given how the team has fallen apart at the end of the last couple of years. Do you really want to throw an extra game in there post-new year? We'll see, though. I'll leave it up to the coaching staff, of course. But yeah, I see 12 games here in the new year, and there are lots of them are tough opponents. You have big win opportunities against Wisconsin, San Diego State, Ole Miss, UCLA, Arizona State, Texas, and two more teams. Little Chicago, two more teams in the... Disney World Tournament. I think they need to get like eight and four of those. I'd like to, they need to get two thirds of these games to put themselves in a good position. I think a seven and five might be able to squeak by, but a lot of opportunities here. Of course, every game's key when you're on the bubble. But yeah, the coaching staff has set this team up well to get those wins that they need to put them in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, like you said, Jabril, a very exciting non-conference schedule here and one that, you know, balances some pretty challenging games, you know, with the usual, the usual buy games. The biggest surprise for me was probably the inclusion of the Loyola Chicago game and more so just probably because we didn't know about it before. You know, we didn't have the schedule before, but we knew, you know, bits and pieces had kind of been released. The summer went on, you know, we knew about the Wisconsin game in the Brewer Stadium. We knew about hosting San Diego State week two. We knew about the ESPN events invitational. And then, of course, the Texas game after it's basically the same thing that happened last year. So we just didn't know about the Loyola Chicago. And I'm, I'm happy you brought up uh, that part about, you know, kind of how the net rankings factor into the schedule making. Just because, you know, I think it makes, I think the Stanford coaches probably, you know, I actually do not have any inside information on this. I, I think the Stanford coaches definitely uh, pushed for that Loyola Chicago game to be a neutral site game. 
just because a loss to Loyola Chicago, who is, you know, they're, they're actually a really good program over the past few years. A loss to them on, on the home court hurts a lot more than a loss to them on a neutral court does. And so I think that the coaches definitely, you know, wanted to push for that after, you know, having to play Wisconsin in Wisconsin, but in a neutral side game and not, you know, as an away game. But I'm, I'm pretty excited for the schedule, both, you know, as a, as a Stanford fan, but also as a manager getting to travel to all these away locations. Wisconsin in the Brewer Stadium, I think is going to be, you know, the game I'm most looking forward to. Wisconsin will be taking a step back after last season. I mean, they lost, you know, Johnny Davis, who's a top 10 pick playing for the Wizards now. Brad Davison, who, you know, seemed like he was on that team forever. You know, he played five years there. Uh, almost a five-year starter for them. So I think, you know, they're going to take a step back. I think that'll be a pretty close game. And, you know, we'll we'll pretty much learn game two, you know, what we can expect of the Stanford team, kind of similar to how it was last season. We played at Santa Clara game two. Learned a lot about the team after that one. And then, you know, heading into week two of the season, hosting San Diego State, who's a top 25 team heading into the season. That's, uh, you know, honestly, I think that's the biggest challenge of this of this non non conference slate. Uh, they do play Texas, who's also you know a highly ranked team in a neutral side game in Dallas later in December. But I think San Diego State. It's an early test, third game of the season. We are going to learn a lot about Stanford here. Can they be competitive? Can they get the win on on the home court? Is this a potential? You know annual Pac-12 game here in the next couple of years. We will see. But I'm I'm in just I'm excited by this non-conference schedule. Jabril, I forget if you mentioned it, but of course we do know the dates of those first two, you know, early season Pac-12 games hosting UCLA on the first day of December and then playing at Arizona State three days later. It's kind of interesting to see how that kind of factors into the schedule. And then of course the last thing I wanted to to touch on ESPN events invitational during Thanksgiving playing Ole Miss in the opening game. Some pretty interesting teams also in that tournament. As you mentioned, Jabril, Florida State, Seton Hall. I'm interested to see how Stanford can do in that event. You know, if they can kind of string together some wins there and maybe come out with come out with a championship. Jabril, I know you have some more things to touch on. I just want to emphasize how big that San Diego State game is and how the how the emotion surrounding that really depends on what happens in Wisconsin. If they beat Wisconsin, assuming they beat Pacific, they go and beat Wisconsin, they're 2-0. That game really jump Stanford into like a safe area of the bracket three games into the season, of course. But that would be a huge, huge start to the season for them. And that San Diego State game would just be massive. And if they lose to Wisconsin, now it's like, uh oh, they're one and one. They didn't they missed a chance at a big win. We really need this win on our home court right now. We don't want to start off one and two with NCAA tournament aspirations. Tuesday night, Els and I will have to do our best to get as many students as we can to come out. I'm sure the six man will be planning some wonderful food for us all to try to get us into that game and pack maples. But yeah, that San Diego State game is going to be huge, especially with the weird Monday, November 7th game. There's already a women's game booked at 7 p.m., so I don't know when the men are going to fit that game in. So maybe in an ideal time, that won't help students, but who knows. But yeah, that San Diego State game, definitely one I've circled on my calendar. Yeah, and you know we don't want to spend too much time talking about the non-conference schedule now. We this Again, this is something we were, we were really waiting for, you know, the whole whole summer. You know, we keep seeing other schools release theirs as the weeks would go on and kind of just waiting for Stanford to come out with theirs. And, you know, now we have it and I'm, I'm pretty excited by it. You know, as Jabril said, he is also. We're going to bring to you a lot more basketball coverage, especially as the season starts getting closer. You know, it's only in the middle of September now. Team still two weeks away from starting official preseason practice. But, you know, hopefully once we get back to campus and when, once the season starts rolling around, we can start having some of the players, some of the coaches on the podcast give their thoughts on the team and how the season unfolds once we get to that. But that's going to wrap up this episode, episode four of Keeping Up With The Card. Thanks, you guys, for tuning in to yet another episode. 
football season getting right into swing by week, unfortunately, but we will be back next week previewing the Washington game, talking about other happenings on the farm. Thank you guys for listening.